The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Well, good morning. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified. Today we're going to talk about Kind of an unusual observation by a fellow private investigator from California, Kat or Catherine Townsend. So private investigators spend so much time interviewing individuals from all cultures and walks of life, gathering details and relationships and in relationships to cases and relationships to other people that they're investigating. But it's interesting that um, Catherine has noticed that that she's finding that plastic surgery, Botox, and other cosmetic procedures are altering an investigator's ability to interpret key facial expressions. So here today to discuss this development is Kat. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Hi. I'm excited to be here. I'm delighted you're here, too. This is going to be a fun show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so Kat, you started out as a staff writer for New York Magazine. That was how you started your career. I did. My entire career has been based on interviewing people. And yeah. um, as a journalist, some, I started out um, having to literally ambush them at cocktail parties, whether it was a celebrity or a politician. <laughs> and I talked to Playboy Bunnies. I talked to Tony Blair. It was really kind of um, having to put myself in their world and um, very quickly get information and, ha- you know, have an intense conversation. So that was really good training in a way, although I didn't realize it at the time. I was just having fun going to cocktail parties and writing articles. Right. And then I, I uh, later moved to London, and I worked for the independent um, newspaper, and I started this dating column. So again, I was interviewing a lot of people. I was writing a lot about relationships and how um, different relationships affect you and brain chemistry and things like that. So that's how I got my start. Oh, that's interesting. So, so you majored in journalism. I did. I went to NYU. Um, I majored in journalism. I actually thought that I was going to be a war reporter. I thought I was going to be in the trenches really? doing that. I did. And um, I don't know. I, as, I, as I went along, I kind of realized um, the direction of the industry that they were going to be probably using more people on the ground in those countries. And I started writing about relationships, which, to be honest, was totally dramatic in, in a different way. But um, <laughs> in some ways, this is crazy. I definitely have some war stories. They're just not that kind of war stories. Yeah. So, and you wrote for all kinds of publications. 
too? Were those freelance, or were you working for the co- with the companies? Um, both. I, I was doing both. I um, yeah, I've written for basically every every woman's magazine, um, British publications, American publications. Um, but I'm always obsessed with relationships and how they um, how they motivate people. You know, I call myself the love detective. People think that's because I'm hiding in the bushes, <laughs> and sometimes I am. You know, I'm legally allowed to do that. But the truth is, it's really about what motivates people. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about um, a serious fraud case or you're talking about a you know a matrimonial case people are really motivated by love greed and fear you know it's sex and money I mean that's really what motivates people and I think having understanding of how their mind works has really helped me yeah. um, and also dating and detective work have a lot in common I found that out too so <laughs> definitely just having a lot of different types of experience different countries different people that has been really key I think yeah so I, I yeah I guess you wrote for Cosmopol- Cosmopolitan, The Atlantic, yeah, um, L, GQ, Glamour, Marie Claire, um, Guardian, a, a lot, a lot of different people. Um, and uh, I actually, when I moved to Los Angeles, thought that I was going to be. I'd written two books before, um, based on my columns, and I thought that I was going to write a book about a fictional female detective character. So I'm like, mm-hmm. it's going to be Nancy Drew if she had developed a drinking problem. That's what I was going to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, when I hooked up with Dale Gustafson at DJ Detectives, I was, you know, just kind of researching, not sure, although I'd always been obsessed with solving mysteries, and I just fell in love with it. And I started solving cases, and it really <laughs> was great. That's, that's just too so. funny. So you mentioned uh, you wrote a couple of books. What are those books? Uh, well, they're called uh, Sleeping Around and Breaking the Rules. And um, they're about macroeconomic. No, they're about love. <laughs> they're about relationships. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I always, I guess I was kind of known for having, they called me like the sexual Sherlock Holmes because I basically just be able to look at two people and go, you know what, um, yeah, he's out the door. He's got one foot out the door. Um, she's not going to hear will you marry me? She's going to hear, it's not you, it's me. I would know that immediately, except when it came to my own relationships, which were a complete and total disaster. Mm-hmm. I was always, you know, you can't take your own advice, you can't solve your own case. Um, and when I, it's interesting, like when I first got into PI work, I was really intimidated because I thought, these guys have had 20 years of law enforcement and, you know, but I really found, I swear, that my experience with dissecting relationships really helped me solve a lot of cases, and I was mm-hmm. able to see things they weren't, and vice versa. So it works really well. Hopefully. You know, it's interesting. You said you know you said you mentioned uh, you mentioned Tony Blair that you'd interviewed. What are some of the other famous personalities or really oh, interesting yeah. interviews you've had? Well, this is kind of my um, my mo is if you tell me to get to someone, like I will get to that person. Uh, two weeks ago, um, no, not it was a little longer than that. Maybe two months ago now. Someone said, um, we, were at a, we were at an event, and uh, Bill Clinton was speaking, and I said, you know, I'd really like to have a conversation with him. I'm originally from Arkansas. I want to talk to him. And um, my friend said, they noticed about midway through the, the party, a staff pass. I'd gotten a staff pass and gone backstage. And he said, you know, either she's getting arrested right now or she's talking to Bill Clinton, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then there's a picture of me, you know, shaking his hand. And I've talked to, um, gosh, I mean, Colin Firth was a great interview, Hugh Hefner, um, I'm trying to think of the most interesting. A lot of a lot of actors and actresses. Um, I've spoken. I mean, very briefly. But Billy Bob Thornton was really interesting. He's just an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's probably. Now, so go ahead. Sorry. So how so how do you get these interviews? Are you, do you have to go through their agent? Do you just approach them no, like on I the just, street? You know what? what? How, how do you I never did. I mean, so I haven't really focused on celebrity interviews in a long time. Um, 
but yeah, I would I would normally just go to an event where I knew they were going to be there, and they you know theoretically didn't mind the press being there, and I would always go and try to talk to them privately um, because. If they have a line of journalists, you know, especially in a case where we had a weekly column, you really have to find a way to get a quote that sticks out. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I don't like the TMZ. I don't like following people around, you know, in that fashion. So, I literally would just kind of try to come up with an interesting way to very quickly get to know them and then um, be able to give my editor something unique. And that skill is has translated really well into PI work. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. Oh, I can. Now, so, so you call, you, now you have this blog, The Love Detective, mm-hmm. and what do you do with that? Well, um, I am writing a series of books called The Love Detective that's kind of loosely based on what I do, but is going to be much more, um, you know, revved up. <laughs> so, uh, so I can do all this stuff like breaking into offices and wiretapping phones that, of course, I would never do in real life, and I, I do take it very seriously. I'm very... I love finding creative workarounds to help my clients, but I always follow the law, and that's part of the reason um, I think a lot of people have misperceptions about, you know, what detectives can and can't do. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so, and, I, and I blog under it, and I've actually trademarked the Love Detective. Um, we're building a dating app so that uh, people will be able to tell if someone's married or single, because that's also, you know, very basic questions. Um, I do these character analyses, which is basically figuring out um, – identity, finance and employment, address history, marital status, and criminal record um, to build a character analysis. And I'm amazed by how, well, men and women, but, but a lot of women I know don't ask basic questions because they get, you know, infatuated and they don't ask. And then they're kind of, they don't want to ask after a month and they haven't seen their apartment <laughs> right. and it gets weird, you know. Right. So I'd like to so, help people with that. So, like, basic questions. Give us some. What are those basic questions? Okay. I mean, you know. Who are you? What's your name? Who are you? And, and that sounds really basic, but then when you go to verify identity, of course, the first thing you do is look for the exact spelling of their name, you know, and, and the variations. And um, a client I had a few weeks ago, she's a young woman. She's just moved to L.A. She moved for this guy. And um, basically, she, I said, you know, the guy spells his name about 20 different ways. Sometimes his middle initial first name, it's, it, you know, it's a lot of different spellings. He obviously has aliases. Of course, then we go deeper. We find out that she doesn't really know where he is on weekends. And then I found out, long story short, the guy has three different social security numbers, one of them from a dead guy, and he literally is leading three completely separate lives. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just so important to ask those basic questions. I can't emphasize that enough. What do you do? I mean, they give you an email address, um, and there's no business address, and then you look it up, and, and it's actually, um, you know, is he CEO of a real company? Or is he CEO of his mom's basement? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, right. Interesting. Very important to ask those type of questions. And, and I know we were talking offline. You're residing in Los Angeles now. And Los Angeles is just such a much different environment. Um, <sighs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. I, know I lived there a number of years ago, too. It is a, such a much different environment. Could talk about that a little bit in, in relationship to doing investigations. Los Angeles is, um, I don't want to use bad language, it's the world capital of BS, that's what someone told me, and it's very true, <laughs> the sunny place for shady people. Um, I've lived all over the world. I've lived in London, I've lived in New York, um, I've lived in South Georgia where there's, you know, Waffle House is the main restaurant. Um, you know, everywhere that I've gone, even like New York and London, such anonymous cities, people are going there to uh, make their mark and to have a great career and, you know, hustle, and I feel like in L.A., everyone's dream is to be a star. 
pretending to be someone else is actually a good thing, you know? So everyone just has these, these stories, these kind of really elaborate stories. And of course, when you're first going out with someone or doing business with someone, you know, yeah, everyone's going to exaggerate a little bit and put their best foot forward. But I mean, I have found completely different lives out here. It's just, it's the wild west of dating. It really is. And, and business. Um, but it's really exciting. And, um, yeah, I love it. I totally, I just love it. I do now. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that, that you put all, <laughs> all this time into it. So, so you met Del Gustafson, and you were interviewing him about a book, or you started to interview him about a book. Oh, no, I, and signed you got- up, I signed up for detective school day one. I'm like, you know, oh, I called you? him, and I said, okay. again, I was intimidated at that point. So I called, and I said, you know, I'm not sure if I have the right kind of experience. And he told me, he said, well, journalists, you know, make really good private investigators, and don't worry about that. And I said, now, you're probably going to read my book, and it's got some pretty crazy stories in it. And he's, he, we just got along right away. He's like my dad at this point, but we literally right away just completely hit it off. I knew things would be okay. I felt safe doing it. So, I, yeah, I did, the, I did the project, and um, I did the detective school. And during it, I just really realized how much, um, you know, law enforcement guys are used to having people answer their questions and having yeah. a system of doing things. And that's really great. That's a wonderful experience. Journalists are used to having the doors shut in your face and told no right. and come back, exactly. get out. So you really are, I'm like the master of the creative workaround. Someone tells you no, you know, someone tells, slams the door in your face, you go through the window. I mean, not literally because that's legal, but metaphorically. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of been key to success. And, again, especially when I collaborate with people who are in law enforcement, um, that's been really great, too, because we, yeah. we all bring different ideas to the table. Okay, Kat, hang on. We're going to pause briefly for a commercial break. Stay sure. tuned. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest, licensed private investigator Kat Townsend, is talking about her experiences with interviewing people. Well, we're going to be talking about cosmetic procedures, changing the face of investigation, but we're just talking a little bit about what it's like to live in L.A., what it's like to deal with, with uh, the Los Angeles residents and uh, the differences in her experiences between other parts of the world and Los Angeles. So, um, so Kat, when you, you went through the class with Dale Gustafson and his – it's G, DGA Associates? Is that DGA Detectives, yeah. DGA Detectives, yeah. Uh-huh. And so uh, that's a, um, a class of how long? So the class itself was three months, but it was, it was really full-time. I ended up doing it for longer. Um, I ended up actually working with him for, to get my hours. So mm-hmm. I worked with him for almost three years. Um, I still work with him on cases. And um, it was just, it was really full-on. One of our first cases was a missing teenager. And what was really weird about that was that um, she reminded me a lot of me at that age. I mean, here she was, you know, 15 or 16, thinking she's going on 40. And I was able to really kind of relate to that case and... That is what I think sucked me in and made me realize that my experience was valuable. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was kind of the beginning. It was really full-on and intense, and, and that's how I got pulled in. Yeah, okay. And so, um, so you, it was how, many, how, how long was the training again? So the, training, the initial training was three months, but then I yeah, went on okay. to do my hours with him. So I worked right. with him for the yeah. next couple of years, longer than that, yeah. actually. And what I was going to say is most people probably don't know that in order to become a private investigator, you have to work 6,000 hours. Oh, yeah. I mean, California, it's, it's really rigorous, it was, and they have to be documented. So basically, um, even with all of, I have, um, I have a bachelor's and I have a master's degree and stuff, and, and it, didn't, it didn't really count. It, it, right. I still had to get the 6,000 hours in addition. Yeah. yeah. I think they, give, they must give credit for a year or something. Don't they? they uh, for the bit. hours. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I think if it yeah. because my degree was doubly in politics, I do think they gave me some hours, but the yeah. vast majority were on the case. Yeah, and then and then after you do that, you have to qualify to sit for a state exam. You have exactly. to pass that, and then you have <laughs> and to take get a license. Um, and when I took the exam, it was really funny. I, I went in and. Um, everyone kept leaving, and I thought, oh, you know, I, I was getting really nervous because I thought, you know, everyone's you know, breezing out of there, and it's about a two-and-a-half-hour test, and then I, f- I figured out it was some type of cooking certificate. They had nothing to do with me. It was a completely different test. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That was a fun day, but, but I passed, so it was all good. Yeah, and, and, you know, people probably also don't realize that the Private Investigators Act, which is what rules what we do in California, has a confidentiality requirement. That's so, right, yes. Yeah, That's right. so... So if you're working for a client, you, that yeah. information is confidential between you and that client unless they, they're doing something bad and, you, and law enforcement gets involved. And then I think that goes away. But, um, but yeah, essentially no, can, people should know that. You can that. report things to law enforcement, but that's right. And you have, a, above all, a fiduciary duty to the client. And, and we've all been in scenarios where you'll be investigating a case. I just had this happen, actually, um, recently. And that's why when I blog, I'm always really – look, I've written memoirs before, so I change a lot of details that are completely unrecognizable. Um, anyway, uh, when I use example cases, but I, but I had a, a case recently where someone – I came up against a much more serious crime while I was investigating 
um, something. And, and it's really, it's tough because you have to really remember that your, your main duties to your client. And in this case, um, you know, going further with an investigation like that would have probably, could have made my client unsafe. So I had a lot of advice and I had lawyers, but these are things that we come across every day to figure out how to proceed. And mm-hmm. a good investigator, in my opinion, takes things really seriously. I have people asking me to have phones and GPS cars, and, and I have to explain to them that, that you know, in the vast majority of cases, that's illegal and you can't. Um, right. It's, you know, it's, yeah, we come, we come across it every day. Yeah, people really think that private investigators have the right to do anything they want to do. And that's, you know, Not essentially, <laughs> we don't have the rights to do anything regular people can't do. Yeah, either. and I wish I drove a Ferrari. Look, I wish a lot of the myths were true. <laughs> <laughs> my yeah. neighbor actually has a red Ferrari, and I always fill myself out by it and laugh and then walk over to my car. And <laughs> we get a good laugh out of that. But, um, yeah, and, and, and I also think my goal, because I've been a journalist, because I've come from a background where we don't have badges um, and everyone is not required to talk to us, my goal is to make people want to talk to me. They want to tell me everything. Um, and the way that I do that really varies. If it's, if it's a powerful personality type who is... Um, who likes to be admired, then I'll admire them. And if it's a, you know, I'll be their friend or I'll, you know, be confrontational if I need to. Um, And part of the reason that, you know, my skill set is being able to analyze that quickly. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, And, and, you know, there is a big difference between being, say, law enforcement and having the badge, color of the badge, and people where people feel, you know, they don't have to talk to a law enforcement officer, but they feel like they do. So they do. Usually, that's right. And, and a, an individual like you and I knocking on somebody's door—that's right—and getting them to talk to us. So I that's think a the huge difference. The difference is, in my mind, the law enforcement. Many times, when they knock on your door, they're thinking, you know, what do I want? Right? What do I want from you? I'm thinking, what do you want? What can I give you in this conversation that will give you something that you want that makes you want and, and motivated to provide me with the answers? I'm mm-hmm. always looking at it from, from the other way, from what motivates people. Yeah. So, so what, what brought around in your mind the cosmetic procedures were? <laughs> well, it was were... one of the very first training videos we saw. Okay, it was Paul okay. Eggman, who's brilliant, who I interviewed. But yes. He's, you know, talking about microexpressions. Um, it was the Bill Clinton video where he says, I did not have sex with that woman. And he raises his forehead just a little. It's like Im- almost imperceptible, but you can see it. And then they started talking about microexpressions. And in my mind at that time, I remember thinking, well, you know, no one's forehead moves now. Um, and then a few weeks later, I was interviewing someone. It was a potential um, very complicated fraud case, but it also involved um, two people being romantically involved. And anyway, she was, she was talking and she was, she was crying. And the other investigator said, you know, she seems really flat. And I said, no, she just had some work done. I mean, it's, <laughs> and it's really similar. I mean, the kind of flat, emotionally flat, and her face did not move. Madame Tussauds wax, like dummies, moved more than this woman's face. And so it was really bizarre. Um, but I think that the thing that's interesting about the Botox is um, it does kill a lot of the microexpressions. It does make you less able to read things. But also in terms of being an investigator, one of your biggest skills is being able to mirror people, right? So they'll want to talk to you and feel comfortable with you. Um, if you get Botox yourself, you lose your ability not only to mirror the person that you're talking to, but even they think, researchers think, to, to actually empathize. You lose your ability to empathize if you have too much done. So I, I really think that, you know, we haven't seen, we just started to see the tip of the iceberg of the effect that 
Botox and those type of things are going to have on the world and how people communicate. I really do. I think the whole thing's going to have to, we're going to have to reinvent the wheel. Well, and yeah, I, I mean, it, it's actually a fairly recent thing that uh, Botox is out there for the masses. That's right. I was thinking, I don't know. You know, I'll, I'll come clean. I've, you know, I've, I, judiciously, I've done a few times. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't have one friend in Los Angeles, maybe one, maybe one who's not had it done. And this is out of, this is a yeah. pretty conservative group of women. This is not, you know, the overdone Hollywood look, which is a whole other thing. But this isn't Los Angeles housewives. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, these are, these are mainly, these are career women. Los Angeles housewives, yeah, I mean, you can pretty much. Take the, but you never say anything about it. You're like, oh, you look really, you know, you look well-rested. Yeah, yeah. They went to the doctor. Yeah. You learned the fling. Well, I, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting observation that I had never thought of before, actually, until I read your article. I, so I really thank <laughs> you for that because um, uh, it is absolutely, although it's not the only thing you evaluate, you know, you're evaluating the entire person and their body language and, and, you know, how they're reacting to various questions and that kind of thing. But the facial expressions are clearly very oh, important. A hundred percent. And he goes on to say, I actually talked to Paul Ekman about it, and he was saying that, he said what you said, he said there's a lot of different things you can look at. And he gave the example of the lips and the cheeks. And, of course, the next thing I thought of was, well, everyone has these big, big lips <laughs> now. So, well, how are we going to be able to tell someone's pursing their lips if they just had a bunch of collagen? That was literally my next question, but I think it was beyond the scope of the article a little bit, but that's the way it's going. Yeah. Well, you know, Dr. Ekman, that's Dr. Paul Ekman. He is an expert psychologist, and uh, he is the one that's uh, developed the uh, the protocol on microexpressions and all of that. He was on the show uh, a couple of years ago. He's great. So interesting, and in the work he's done, um, going around the world and finding that humans have these universal expressions is is just fascinating. Um, I did like uh, what I was I was kind of doing some reading about body language. Um, I think again, living around the world and and exploring other cultures is a huge advantage because even things like you know one of the big things we talk about is where the feet are pointing. Um, if the feet are pointing toward the door, they're ready to leave. If they're pointing toward you, it indicates interest, maybe sexual interest. Um, it's a huge indicator. But if you go to Japan, for example, a feet, point, feet pointing directly at someone is considered rude and no one would ever do it. Um, mm-hmm. And even things like body language, how close you stand to someone. Um, you know, in, in some Asian cultures, you don't want to look people directly in the eye for too long. So it, you, really, it's, you really have to be mindful of who you're talking to and develop mm-hmm. an individual profile. Absolutely. I, there are so many things that uh, you can blow if you don't know the culture you're involved with. Yeah, 100%. For sure. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what experiences, have you had any experiences in this area in, since you've been in L.A. that you had to work around because you knew they had some kind of cosmetic procedure? I assume most women have at this point. Okay. okay. So I'm constantly, it's almost like an assumption the other way. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I've definitely found that a lot of people in L.A. also, just in general when you're doing interviews, will, you know, there's this misconception that if someone won't look you in the eye, they're lying. I mean, sometimes that's true. I'm a big believer in the baseline, um, figuring out a baseline for that person by asking some, you know, questions that are not um, related to the case, just kind of trying to chat with them. Again, that's where journalism skills kind of come in. Because you really want to see what they do when they're comfortable. I fidget constantly. So I look like, I'm sure I would look psychotic if you put me on camera and did an interview with me. Um, 
but that's just what I do. If I'm not fidgeting, that's probably a problem. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I've, yeah, I've had, I've had a lot of uh, people looking you in the eye for a really long time. I think there's some seminar someone is giving telling people that to look confident and seal the deal, you need to just stare at that person because people do it all the time. <laughs> so mm-hmm. usually for me that would indicate deception, but, but now I think some, they've just been to the same seminar. No, I really do. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff going on that that, that affects um, how you read people. Yeah. Okay. We need to take another break, Kat. Kat Townsend will return with us in just a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We're talking about interviewing, dating relationships, and a myriad of topics. And Kat just told me something <laughs> offline that I've, she's got to share with you because I've never heard this before. Kat, would you, <laughs> would you talk about this uh, discovery <laughs> about oh, Botox? Um, so what I was, I was just wondering, um, since lie detectors partly measure um, sweat and perspiration, you know, a lot of red carpet actresses, um, when they wear strapless gowns, they have the treatment, the Botox treatment that stops them from sweating. So I guess I was just in my head thinking, I mean, yeah. could that work? But then you, you pointed out that it was, they measured it on your hands, so probably yeah. can't Botox your hands, although I'm sure nope. some criminal somewhere is trying. But, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the big red carpet. That's the big thing now. So they you actually know. get Botox injections under their arms to keep them from yes, sweating. that's right, to stop them from sweating. Oh. And it works, apparently. Well, does Botox keep you from sweating on your face if you have Botox on your face? You know, yes, a little bit, um, but only just, just, it's very minimal. I guess the amount of units that you get injected into your face um, probably varies, but it's not a lot. 
Whereas, for example, I mean, I'll come clean. I have, I'm a terrible tooth grinder, so I get it injected in my jaw every six weeks, and I talk a lot, so they got to inject a lot in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> every six months, I should say. And so, um, yeah, it's a lot of units. That's a good question. I don't know if it long-term stops sweating. Huh. That's a good question. I, I have never heard of that use for Botox before. That is just fascinating. So, <laughs> um, so when you were, um, tell us a little bit about, about interviewing Playboy Bunnies. What were you doing about with that? Oh my gosh, um, it was a long time ago. I actually it was one of my first jobs um, as a reporter, and I was working for. I worked for New York Magazine. Um, but before that, I worked for this website called Fashion Wire Daily, and I was their celebrity reporter. And I literally, a week after doing the job, I would work all day, and then I'd go out all night and interview people. And so, um, which was uh, <laughs> foreshadowing what my life was going to be like as a private investigator. But anyway, <laughs> so um, hanging out with weird people and weird hours. Um, I got sent out to L.A. They said, you're going to L.A. tomorrow. And I'm like, great, okay. And I did an Oscar story. And as part of that, I got to go to the Vanity Fair Oscar party, which was really cool. Um, but while I was in there, I heard this girl crying. And I'm in the bathroom, and it's really late. And I walked in, and it was, it was at the time one of his, you know, five or six um, Playboy Bunnies. And she was really upset, and she was, you know. And so I kind of, I had like a, you know, girl's bathroom mirror talk with her. And then I went out and took a picture with you, Hafner, and the Playboy Bunnies, and everything seemed cool. Um, it also goes to show you just everything can look perfect and great, but you never really know what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was my first uh, trip, my first work trip. Wow. Interesting. It was fun. So, of course, I also made a huge, I borrowed a dress from a designer, and I did the story about the designer, not realizing it was a black dress, and it was sheer. So it looked great <laughs> on the night, um, but in photos, I'm basically naked, and my grandma saw all those pictures. So <laughs> I just had no idea. I mean, I'm, you know, a kid and from Georgia, and I was all excited to be on the red carpet, and I didn't realize that I was flashing everybody in photos. <laughs> and they showed up on the website. But anyway, that was a long oh, time ago. Great. <laughs> I've learned about undergarments I, since then. <laughs> that's, that's too funny. So, um, are you, so are you specializing in relationships and dating you know, relationships? I thought those- when I started my business, um, that would be the way it would go. Actually, what's happened is I'm specializing in fraud. I'm doing okay. all types of fraud, and a lot of those do involve relationships, divorces. Um, usually it's people hiding money in some way, shape, or fashion. Um, but I do, a lot of, I do a lot of white-collar fraud. And, yes, I mean, relationships pretty much play a role in every single, every, everything I do. I mean, even this white-collar fraud case I'm working on now, when I'm figuring out what motivated the guy to hide the money and where it might be, I'm thinking about relationships. I know that sounds kind of weird, but that's where it comes from. That's how mm-hmm. I figure out where the money is. Okay. All right. So, um, so I do domestic you- cases. I try to, you know, I try to talk people out of surveillance more than I do it in, in a, something like a, a divorce because California, I'm not a lawyer, okay, but California is a no-fault divorce state. Right. So if a woman comes to me and says she has to have a realistic goal of the investigation. Mm-hmm. Now, if the goal is just for her own closure, great. Then I'll do the best I can and I'll, of course, do the surveillance. But if the goal, if she comes to me and says I want, to, I want him to be tortured and I want him to go to hell, <laughs> I say, well, you know, I, I can't really do that and I don't want to follow some around for weeks if it's not going to help you in your ultimate case and it's going to be very expensive. So, um, 
you know, just trying to help the client through that and help them make the right, the best decision for their budget and, I, you know, always try to over-deliver. I don't want to, to um, just waste time and follow someone around if it's not going to help them ultimately. Well, I totally agree with you. Uh, I, I do the same thing. Uh, try to, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense to me to follow somebody to find out something that you already know in your gut. <laughs> no, right. I mean, you know, and, and occasionally there will be clients who will say, look, I just, I need the, I need the evidence from own. And I'll say, okay, and of course you have to weed your clients out. That's the other part of the job. You have to make sure they're not a stalker or weird. Right. And, you know, I have a, a contract every time, but I, uh, I definitely feel like um, it, it, you should help people come to the right decision with that and, and not think that because you catch him cheating, you're going to go into court with a video and it's going to be, I mean, it really doesn't matter in a lot of cases. Child custody is different. It can definitely matter there. Um, It just has to make sense for the client. I do, I like like domestic cases, um, but usually the the domestic cases I get involved with, again, there's there's, uh, divorce cases where there's significant assets being hidden somewhere. Um, That's usually what I end up with, Mm -hmm. and I enjoy it. Well, and don't you find often that the person that wants to find out if the spouse is, or their girlfriend or boyfriend is cheating, that they don't believe you when you bring them the evidence? Yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I, I, I've had several like that. Um, or they'll justify it. That's why, you know, I do try to say in the beginning, what do you plan to do with this information, which is something mm-hmm. that Dale um, always asks too, Dale Gustafson. And, but even with that, um, I mean, I've had people who have actually found evidence. They've found underwear. Um, one case, I actually was at a motel. I knocked on the door. The guy opened it. He's half-dressed. The woman in the background is half-dressed. And, you know, I make my excuses and leave, um, pretend it was the wrong room. And then later on, I show the client the video, and she goes, oh, well, yeah, he was at a business meeting. And I said, oh, yeah. he didn't have any pants on. It's the middle of the day, okay? I mean, but, well, what can you do? I mean, you just say, okay, right. I've given you the facts, and then I get in my car and scream. I mean, I don't know what else to do. It's just mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. You, you can't help people. Um, but I do try to do as much research as I can in the beginning to avoid that. It's not always avoidable, though. And when you, um, when you find that somebody's hiding assets, what do you usually determine is the reason? Well, um, see, I come at it from completely the other perspective. I'm like, why wouldn't they hide assets? <laughs> I think okay. early in my career, I, I, you know, I kind of live by the Spider-Man principle. Okay, if you think about it, Spider-Man could have been the world's, craziest arch criminal okay he can climb walls he could have been a cat burglar a window peeper weirdo but no he's a good guy he chooses to be a good guy because with great power comes a great responsibility so that's how i am you know that's kind of what i think about all the time and um but but i can think like make no mistake about it i can think like a shady person so immediately i go okay you're getting married you're worth a lot of money things aren't going so well what's why wouldn't you try to get rid of your money do you know what I mean? I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of, unfortunately, I can't think like that. So I think, all right, well, where is it? Where'd they put it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just kind of, it's, it's actually not that hard. If you have a complete profile of the person, um, you know where they like to vacation, you know who they're close to, you know who they're hanging out with, um, you know uh, everything about their company and how it works. And if they're, if it's, I mean, without getting boring and complicated, if there's an LLC and an S-Corp and they're connected and what their interests are, UCC filings. You can, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of sources of information for this stuff. Social right. media even more and more. People are not so much at a high level, but I say that. I had a guy the other day who I caught through Instagram, and he really? had, 
and listen, this guy had a triple life. Again, another guy with three completely separate lives. And he'd done very well at separating all his identities. And then he posted on Instagram. And I'm just kind of thinking, what? anyway, why would you do that? <laughs> why would you do that? For sure. So, oh, my gosh. That's too funny. But that's but, his motivation. His motivation was looking cool to his friends. And no matter, you know, even though he knew he probably shouldn't do that, it was just too great a motivator. And usually that's what gets people. It gets people. Yeah, that's so. that's really interesting. Well, and you're right. I mean, I, I've always said I could never be somebody that went undercover because I couldn't ever keep all those details straight. You know? <laughs> that's so complicated. It's it is complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, it's complicated not to leave clues uh, unknowingly. I mean, just like uh, just like a criminal, you you leave something, you take something away. You, yeah, it's I mean, hard to cover your tracks. Well, that's the thing. This this one this one case I'm thinking of where the, the guy had eleven aliases, eleven, and I'm thinking to myself, this man could have been CEO of a major company if he can keep eleven aliases straight and all of their details. Right. It's just, it's amazing to me. Why not just get a job and do the right thing? I mean, I, yeah, yeah I can't I really imagine. get that. But yeah, I can't keep my own name straight. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't, I said I can't keep my own name straight. I can't imagine having several. <laughs> so. Oh, I can't either. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I've had, I've, I've actually had several cases like that. And, um, those tend to, I call them rabbit hole cases, because I'm like Alice in Wonderland, and I discover, and then at one point, I just turn around, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm drinking my, you know, glass of tequila, and I'm like, where is this going to end? How much deeper is this going to get? This is getting really weird. Um, I get that feeling a lot. So, Kat, you've, you've only been licensed for a, a little over a year, right? That's right. Yes. You've had some amazing experiences. This is, this is great. I mean, it, usually I have... Uh, people on the show that are seasoned investigators, they've had, you know, 30 or 40 years under their belt, whatever. It's so much fun to talk to you with with your fresh observations um, and and your background, which gives you a different perspective as well. It's it's just uh, really interesting. I love oh, it. Thank you. Well, I guess, I don't know if it's good about, like, crazy people are drawn to me. Um, and also, I mean, I will say, <laughs> well, you did like, say you were psychotic. <laughs> no, they are. I mean, and at least now I'm able to channel the kind of obsessiveness I have in a really positive direction. And I think Dale also, because I did work with him for, you know, even though I've only had my own agency for a year, I did work with him with his license for, you know, years. And I got a lot of experience. And I don't know. I, I, yeah, I love it. I'm just, every day I wake up and it's it's really weird and crazy and fun and sometimes tragic. And, and it's just life i mean it's it's insane what what did you think about private investigators before you got involved well i thought i i suppose i thought um that it would be more like being a, a detective csi you know what i mean I, I didn't realize how many limitations there were especially in california on um the types of data but but then i think i just kind of take that as more of a challenge um it is sometimes frustrating, to be honest, when I'm in a situation like uh, last night when I was at a broad conference, and there are these forensic accountants, and they have all this information at their fingertips. They're looking through bank accounts at transactions, and I'm thinking, and he, this guy says to me, why don't you just look at the transactions? And I said, look, if I could get into someone's bank account, yeah, I'd be way ahead, but you can't always do that. It's, it's yeah, a completely right. different ballgame when you can't actually go through all the information. You have to find alternative ways to find it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's. The, I probably didn't realize how limited we were, but 
I take it in stride. Uh, someday maybe there'll be a separate classification for private investigators, which would be great. Um, yeah. That's like law I enforcement. <laughs> I actually don't see that ever happening. Um, you know, probably, because, yeah, probably not, but it would be nice. You know, the, it, it makes people nervous. To know no, your no, private investigator. I understand that. Nervous. I was actually talking to someone about this the other day about privacy, and I said. Be- before you start that, we need to take a quick break, too. Oh, sure. So let's do that, and let's come back to that. That's okay. a good subject. Thanks. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Kat Townsend with me with her fresh observations as a fairly new, newly licensed private investigator. We we're just going to say something about privacy uh, as it relates to private investigators. Go ahead, Kat. Oh, I was just going to say that, you know, for example, I recently did the California Association of Licensed Investigators Legislative Day, and we have to kind of educate people, I feel, to understand that we have a lot of training. Um, we're using it for the right reasons. We're audited by the companies that, that give us this data. And, um, you know, I have to tell people all the time, especially in California, I feel like they get the paparazzi laws confused with PIs. And I say, look, I'm looking for people that the police don't have time to find. I'm helping the police in a way. You know, I'm taking some of their cases. Right. I'm not looking for Katy Perry's address. That's not right. what I'm doing. Um, and, and I feel like that's an important distinction. And, and if we keep going this way, I mean, restricting information, we're going to end up where the only people who have information are like Google and the government. And that's a scary place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're, we've got to be... Educate people that we are responsible gatekeepers. Exactly. Um, and on a totally different note, I just want to say, um, yes, I have not seen the David Duchovny X-Files or the Tom Selleck Magnum P.I. Um, Ferrari driving <laughs> private investigators. If there are any, feel free to get in touch with me. <laughs> if that man is out there. But You're I, right. I, I'm so far I not mean, met him. Uh, 
people's uh, overall impression of who a private investigator are, it, it frightens them. I think they think we're going to del- delve into their personal business, which to a degree we do, but not the way they think we do. Private, we're concerned about privacy as well. I, I'm absolutely, in, in all seriousness, I joke around a lot, but I, I am very concerned about it. I'm concerned about following the law. I'm always mindful of that. Um, and, and I do sometimes tell people, even as a journalist, I would be having a conversation with just a random person at a cocktail bar, and they'd go, this is off the record. And I would just look at them, and I'm like, sir, you know, unless you say something really interesting in the next 10 minutes about, you know, blowing something up, it's going to be off the record. I really, you've got a job to do. I'm not, stalking requires way too much of a time commitment for me. I'm not concerned about that. I just, you know, want to help people and help them solve cases. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now you, now, you said, uh, you just mentioned something about talking off the record. I, we should probably mention that when you're talking to a private investigator, nothing is ever off the record. That's right. That's right. It's that's different than talking than being to, a journalist. Yeah, that's different. That's a huge difference. Yes. Um, yeah, it, as a journalist, um, you're allowed to opt and say things are off the record, but that's because um, a lot of the laws about public information, if, if, you, if you quote someone, you, know, you have to be mindful of how it's going to be used, whereas a private investigator, obviously, it's, it's for the client's knowledge. So, yeah, yeah. it's completely different. It, yeah, and it could be a legal issue, and it could be, you could be in, end up in a legal arena, and then you're in trouble if you, oh, yeah. if you said something was going to be off the record, because I know somebody that a- actually happened to. Where they wow, promised yeah. it, they promised the person it would be off the record, and of course was on the witness stand, and it turned out not to be on the off the oh, record. Oh no, you so. can never with a PI yeah. in a PI situation, you can never say, "Oh, no one will ever know about this." Yeah, it, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, I mean, I always, in a weird way, I feel like I'm sometimes trying to talk people out of cases. Are you sure you want to do this? Do you know what I mean? I really want to make sure that people know what they're getting into. Right. Um, right. And, it, yeah, it depends on if the case uh, involves litigation or not and how it's going to go. And there's, there's just so many questions that we deal with every day. And I also wish people knew um, how much work, you know, the good investigators do in trying to make sure that everything's legal and they're on the right ethical side. And, you know, there's some really great investigators out there. And obviously, just like anything else, like with lawyers or anything else, there's, there's a few shady ones. And, unfortunately, sure. they've given everyone else a bad name. Right. Absolutely. So, so. what... What advice would you give to people that were maybe our listeners that may be interested in becoming private investigators? What would you say to them? First, I would say get as much life experience and experience of different types of cultures and people and um, just talk to as many people from as many walks of life as you can, just in general, just in your everyday life, and really observe those differences. Um, I would say that it's a good idea to uh, find someone, find a mentor, find someone in, in the business that you respect and um, and work with them. And, and I had to, you know, look, I had to do a lot of free work. I, in the beginning in journalism, I did too. And just learn from every case and um, hook up with good organizations like Cali and, and, um, because they'll help you do things the right way from the beginning. Um, that's, and, that uh, really, that's really nice to hear. That's really yeah, nice to no, hear. No, it's true. And, and also, you know, just the forms and, and the support, you know, get support from other people in the industry. Um, and also, I would say, no matter how seasoned you are, um, I always like to look at everything, you know, childlike perspective, like I'm looking at the world for the first time, because sometimes, I mean, you know, it's, it's those kind of observations that will be the key to the case. You just never know. Um, so never stop learning. I mean, I'm literally, I, learn, I try to read a book every day or every two days if I want to have time when I'm not working super full time. I, I just, I don't know, just knowledge, accumulated knowledge, like Sherlock Holmes. You know, he would, he would always 
have these really weird esoteric facts and that you have no idea how the hell they were going to tie in, but then they always help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just absolutely. always be observing, not just looking. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, uh, just just the learning, never stop learning. I mean, I've been doing this a number of years, and I learned something new. Today I learned about Botox and, uh, <laughs> and sweat under arms. I mean, how, how can you beat that? <laughs> well, my girlfriends, several of my girlfriends swear by it. So I, I, Botox <laughs> is a wonderful substance. Just, you know, you just have to be mindful of how it's being used. <laughs> but so. you yeah, but. You're right. You have to continue to learn. You can't assume that just because you've been doing something a long time that you know you know everything there is to know. You just can't assume that because and you can get you, you can get locked in with blinders and not do a very good job when you're like that. That's true and also I think people also don't realize um there's a lot of wonderful new high-tech apps out there that are crucial to me in doing my job, but there's sometimes no substitute for good old-fashioned canvassing and Detective work going straight to the source, digging through dusty microfiche at the courthouse. Um, yep. You know, you, you really have to understand. And also, um, just in general, for people who are out there in the dating world, I think online dating is great. Okay, I've met several boyfriends that way, and they were, you know, normal and had all their fingers and toes and everything. But, but I would say <laughs> that, you know, you, you should treat it as online meeting, not online dating. There's no substitute for looking somebody in the eye and finding out what's going on, um, as exactly. long as you do it in a public place. Exactly. So... Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> so so what, what would you be your plans for your business at this point? Well, I'm trying to... Have you seen the movie The Zero Effect? No. Okay. Well, basically, it's a, it's a reimagining of a Sherlock Holmes movie. Um, he... Basically, Bill Pullman is this really esoteric detective named Daryl Zero, and what that has to do with my business is he had a flat, he had a fee structure that basically he either took extremely expensive cases or he worked pro bono. And I would like to get to that point. I want to be working on extremely high-level expensive cases um, and uh, th- that I can really immerse myself in for months at a time because I'm totally obsessive. Um, and then I would like to, to also do pro bono criminal work. Um, I'm working on a cold case, and it's... I'm gonna. It's, it's for a family that you know has a lot of troubles, and, and I'm doing it for free. But I have to be able to do both and function in both worlds. So, I'd like to do that. I'd like to expand the business. Um, I did a TV pilot, so we're gonna see what's happening with that for um, for Lifetime. And um, if it worked, it would be like Cold Justice, but for private investigation. So we would help people, um, you know, solve a case every week. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd like to write more books, um, and just <laughs> I'd like to have more cases. You don't have enough hours in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I never sleep, so that's a big plus. Yeah, that's, that's a, that, well, sleep, sleep's overrated anyway. Totally. So. <laughs> it really is. And I want to meet more people because, you know, to be totally honest, you know, L.A., the best thing that ever happened to me was getting into this business and meeting the people I've met through it. And um, so, yeah, I just I want to do more events with more investigators. And um, so, yeah, anyone, feel free to get in touch anytime because I really don't sleep much, maybe between four and seven. <laughs> Can I get, do you have a website? I do. It's um, www.lovedetective.com. That should be easy to remember. Well, you're That's just, delightful. <laughs> just delightful to talk to. I'm oh, thank you. so much fun. Seeing you more in the future. Yeah. Um, and we're at the end of our show. Thank you very much. It was delightful. Thank you um, so much. 
And just for our listeners, if you're interested in advertising on BI's Declassified, you can contact my wonderful producer of this show, Sandra Rogers, at Sandra, S-A-N-D-R-A dot Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S, at voiceamerica, one word, dot com. So PIs Declassified continues to offer content of interest to private investigators and other legal professionals and to challenge the existing negative TV and movie myth for worldwide listeners. So tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for joining, Kat. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.